Okay, today on the program we will be covering a little film from 1994 called Pulp Fiction and the original X-Men live-action movie from 2000. I'm so excited! Alright everyone, welcome to Brandon at Random Reviews. I am your host, Brandon Griffiths. Thank you for tuning in, I do appreciate it. Um, today on the show, you know, we've, we've got a couple of movies as I mentioned, and uh, there's, there's only a, a few small things that I want to talk about ahead of those, so bear with me while I, uh, you know, I, I ease into this this nice episode. Okay, so for me, summer is about getting out you know, trying new things, spreading your wings, do what you can. I mean, just take advantage of all the the wonderful weather that we have, you know. And I and I have a list in my phone. It's in my notes app. It's it's a list of all of the Greater Lansing area restaurants that I still want to try that I have not yet tried and and I really want to. You know, it's they're, they're ones that I I've, I've heard of. I want to give them a shot. I mean, there's there's like Fiddlers on the Grand and North Lansing. Uh, I want to try Golden Harvest. I've always heard wonderful things about Golden Harvest, especially their breakfast. Good Truck and Diner. That I mean, basically anywhere I can get barbecue, I'm going to go to. So, you know, that's something, but uh I think it's called Bowdy's Chop House, which is like a nicer, you know, steak restaurant. I want to try Blaze Pizza and Buddy's Pizza. I've, I've never had either of them, and I, I really, I'm really hoping that they're as good as, as I, I have heard people say they are. So, you know, I, I, I try and get in and, and make sure that I'm trying all that new stuff, and I'm, I try and go to new stores just to see what they've got, just just to see what they're they're putting out there for people to look at. I try and I try and do any number of things that I can. Uh, I I want to go to new places, try out different parks, see different scenery, things like that. Um, and I do as much of that as I can, but you know it's there are limitations. You know, I mean, sometimes I'm unmotivated. I'll, I'll be the first to admit it. I I don't always want to go out and try something new because, you know, I'm, I'm bogged down by the monotony of my everyday life that doesn't really, it doesn't really suit me to, to go and try something new. Um, I also try, you know, if I'm, if I'm in the mood for playing video games, I'll try new video games and give them a shot. I don't, always stick to the same old standbys, but they're, you know, it it is, it's been known to happen. But it's funny, on that same note, you know, I've got, I've got that drive to try all this new stuff out, right? And it's like, I want to try all these foods, these places, these, you know, whatever, but I, I do a lot of walking, especially like with my, you know, my regimen for, um, for dieting and, and, exercise and everything. So it's like I walk around a lot and I I usually try and get at least at least like 3 or 4 miles in. 
on a normal day. And then on the weekend, I try and get in even more than that, like probably even double that, if not more. I, I do find it funny though, because I pretty much walk like the same loop every time I walk. You know what I mean? I very rarely change it. And if I, if I change it up, it's only to go on a walk on another loop that I've already gone on before that I'm already familiar with. And it's like, Brandon, why don't, why don't you just branch out and, and give something else a shot? And, and I think it's because if I walk the same loop, I know how many miles I'm getting out of that walk. You know, I know how many steps, give or take, it is. And I mean, if I do my standard loop, because what I try and do is I hit try and hit 10,000 uh, steps and it's pretty easy for me to do that if I if I play my cards right but it's just it is what it is you know sometimes like a lot of times at work I can get all 10,000 steps in and then I kind of use that as a, a basis for whether or not I want to do additional exercise before I go to bed that night or if I want to use that time just to hang out and do nothing. It's tough to say. I don't I don't know for sure if um, I, I, I don't ever know for sure if that's something that I'm going to to carry on with, you know, and and so I, I I'll, I'll walk around town. I'll go down to a location that's it's a little park. It's called the Island Park in Grand Ledge. Grand Ledge used to be a, a resort town in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And there was a bunch of touristy stuff downtown and all sorts of stuff. And there were seven islands. It was called the Seven Islands Resort. And now there's only really like one island to speak of. And they've got this big park on it. And they still have issues with it. You know, when when you get a huge rain, the, the river level gets too high and all of a sudden you can't even you can't even get halfway down the island and it's covered with water. So, I mean, I, I'll do that. And I mean, I'll always I'll always go down there. And I think probably the worst part of going for a walk for me is the geese. And I know there's the quote from uh, if you ever watch the show Letter Kenny, it's on uh, Hulu. It's about these Canadian friends that just sit around and talk about shit and and they just kind of say funny shit and and one of the episodes they they keep saying this you know the main guy keeps saying this line Wayne he says he says if you got a problem with Canada gooses you got a problem with me and I suggest you let that one marinate and it's like it's funny but at the same time sorry Wayne I fucking hate quote-unquote, Canada gooses. I mean, I hate geese with a flaming passion. They shit everywhere. They are aggressive, and I'm not even exaggerating that. I mean, if you've ever, if you've ever been out walking and you you cross paths with a goose that that doesn't like the way you're walking or where you're walking, they'll, they'll get fucking hostile about it. They're, they're, they're not happy with you if you, you know, you piss them off, and it, it just kind of... It kind of sucks, you know, because it's like you're you're just out walking. You're not there to bother any of the wildlife. You just want to go on about your day like they do. And these geese will flip their shit for something like that, where it's like, you know, even you even try and do something to actively avoid causing a problem and they'll still act like assholes. So there's that. And then, you know, I mean, there'll be other people out walking and obviously like people want to 
be social with you or stop you and talk to you or something. And it's kind of annoying because it's like, hey man, I'm just out here walking. I don't really need to do this. They just don't. And I'll also, I'll, you know, I'll be walking and if I'm by a roadway, like the park that I go to is, is out of the way of the road. But, um, there are definitely times when I will walk on sidewalks adjacent to roads, and I will get honked at, presumably by people who recognize me and want to say hello. Only problem is, is I, I literally have no idea who you are, people. Like, I can't see you. The windows in your car are just tinted enough that it's difficult to see, and if I don't recognize your vehicle, it's even harder. And so, if you honk at me, I, I honestly could say... You could probably just roll your window down and holler at me or slow down or something. I mean, like, honestly, I, I hate I hate to break it to you, but I really I really never realize who you are ever. It's I've I can't remember the last time somebody tried to get my attention while they were driving and I was walking and like I actually realized who it was before they were long gone. And, you know, that's that's kind of the way it is, though. I mean, that's what happens. So yeah, I mean, the walking thing, I, I realize that walking is not the best form of exercise. You know, I could go running, never been able to get into running. I don't like, I, you know, I've talked about this before, you know, bicycling, I'm still trying to wrap my head around whether or not I want to do that. You know, most other things are just too tough to get into, you know, I mean... I'd love to go swimming more frequently. I'd love to get a chance to swim every day, but at the same time, it's not always feasible. So I just kind of deal with it. But I think we should get into these movies. Um, I, I, I'm really excited, honestly. I, I'm I'm stoked to talk about these movies. There's a lot of stuff about them that I really enjoy. Um, they just, they've really resonated with me ever since the first time I saw them, you know, I just, I really have always thought these ones were like cool movies. And I realize I use that word cool a little too frequently, but it's actually how I feel that these are like the embodiment of coolness, you know? So first and foremost, we have Pulp Fiction, which came out on October 14th, 1994. It was directed by Quentin Tarantino, uh, his only real popular movie to date before that was the movie Reservoir Dogs, which is a very great film. If you ever get a chance, if you've never seen it, give that one a shot, you know, just, just check it out. It's, it's a very cool concept, you know, you get the first taste of Tarantino's storytelling because as you'll find out from me in a few moments, you know, Tarantino directs, produces, and uh, writes most of his movies. And, you know, sometimes he's even featured in them as an actor. And he's not a terrible actor. He's just, you know, he's just not an actor by trade, necessarily. Some of his other movies, other than Reservoir Dogs. Now, Jackie Brown is a good one. It's, it's I would say, probably underrated. But it's, it's also not as great as the people who call it underrated make it out to be, you know, a lot of people like to act like Jackie Brown is fucking amazing, and it's cool, it's, it's, it's a decent movie, but I mean, it's just, it's not that amazing, you know, he did the Kill Bill movies, Kill Bill 1 and 2 with Uma Thurman, 
who is, by the way, in this movie. He did a scene in the movie Sin City, which I'm a huge fan of. Love Sin City. He did Death Proof, which was a part of a double feature. Uh, it was called a Grindhouse double feature, and it's it, it's it's also featured with uh, gosh, what was that other one called? Um, oh, Planet Terror. Okay, so it was it was featured with Planet Terror and. And that was directed by Robert Rodriguez. And honestly, those movies, they're okay. I've watched them recently, like within the last year or two. They're not they're not anything special. I, I, I honestly wouldn't waste my time with those unless you have some inkling to believe that they're really going to be your cup of tea, you know? He he did the movie Inglorious Bastards, which is about Nazi killers in in Nazi Germany, or Nazi uh, Europe, I should say, during World War II. He made Django Unchained with Jamie Foxx and Christoph Waltz. The Hateful Eight, which I, I honestly love. Like, if I'm watching, if somebody says, hey, can you think of a, a Western that maybe I would like if I'm, you know, if I'm not typically into Westerns, you know? I would say that that's your movie, you know? I, I do like Westerns, but that movie... It's like a murder mystery kind of thing, and it's it's an awesome fucking movie. I just, I, I can't get enough of it. It's got Samuel L. Jackson and Kurt Russell and uh, Jennifer Jason Lee and, and just a bunch of these these really great actors, you know? You know, and then he directed uh, Once Upon a Time, Tarantino did, and that had uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt in it, and that was pretty good. I don't know if I liked it as much as people acted like I should, but I, I enjoyed it. It was it was pretty solid. It also had Margot Robbie in it, which Margot Robbie makes any movie more watchable pretty much no matter what. But that's the shallowness of me, so just, you know, sorry about that. I usually talk about, you know, with a director, maybe, you know, I'll get into the movies of theirs I'd like to see. And for the most part, Quentin Tarantino's movies, I've seen all of his major movies. I am excited. I've I've heard multiple accounts of what he's supposed to be directing next. And I heard at one point he was going to be making a Star Trek movie, which I thought that could be fucking nifty. I've more recently heard he was going to make a remake of... First Blood, the first Rambo movie, and I thought, you know what, that that could be pretty fucking sweet too. I, I could really go for either of those. I, I honestly don't care. I just, you know, if I hear Quentin Tarantino made it, I'm probably just gonna go see it. You know, I mean that that's that's brand loyalty right there. Like that's he's earned that from his movies, okay? You know, he obviously as I mentioned, he you know, Tarantino writes his movies and the only movie that always comes to mind when I talk about the movies that he's uh he's written that he didn't direct or produce is the movie True Romance with Christian Slater and I think it's Rosanna Arquette and it's got James Gandolfini and Christopher Walken and it's just got all of these cool people in it and it's 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 an awesome movie. I really really like that movie. It's there's there's so so much shit going on in that movie. There's so much, you know, 
it's a drug centric movie. It's a you know it's a love centric movie. It's it's very awesome. I, so with this movie, the soundtrack stands out to me. It's it's funny because I don't honestly know the songs super well. Like there's some that stand out that are like, oh yeah, okay, it's that song. I like that song. But it's not even so much the songs. Like they're not necessarily all songs I would put on a playlist and listen to. But it's the way they suit the scene that they are featured in. It it really really does it for me. So you've got like Miser Lou by Dick Dale and the Deltone or in his Deltones. He's I mean that's like the title track. That's like the song that plays when the movie starts and you see the the name Pulp Fiction, you know, that's what it is. So, I mean, that's really cool. You got Jungle Boogie by Cool and the Gang. Let's Stay Together by Al Green, which is like a classic romantic song. Uh, Son of a Preacher Man by Dusty Springfield, which is actually about basically someone losing their virginity behind a church. Anyway, moving on. Uh, Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon by Neil Diamond. And there were there were others, but I, I don't know. I they, I mean... There's a Chuck Berry song that they dance to in this movie, and and it's cool. But you know, for the most part, those were the ones that the ones that I mentioned. They are the ones that stood out to me. One casting note, and I I like I've always find it interesting if somebody was, uh, if a part was written for somebody, or if somebody was considered for a role, and they didn't end up doing it. I'm always really interested to find out who that was and what the story was behind it. And one that really, it kind of bummed me out, but I don't know if it would have, if it would have been the same movie. I mean, obviously it would have been the same movie, but I don't know if it would have been as good is Michael Madsen, who played Mr. Blonde in the movie Reservoir Dogs. I guess the part was, the part of Vincent Vega, who was played by John Travolta ultimately, was actually written for Michael Madsen. And he was unable to play the role because he had already signed on to do the movie Wyatt Earp with Kevin Costner, which, man, like, if you're him, that's, I mean, at least it's not the story of, like, Sean Connery turning down the role of Gandalf in the Lord of the Rings movies, but it's pretty... It, it sucks for him, you know what I mean? Like, Wyatt Earp, I, I, I didn't look it up, but it's, there's no fucking way Wyatt Earp was a successful movie, you know what I mean? Or at least, it obviously wasn't as influential, you know, it was just a, a throwaway movie that, that nobody talks about, you know? But I mean, everybody fucking talks about Pulp Fiction, so to know that he could have, like, starred in this movie, that must be heartbreaking for him, but, you know, at least, at least he didn't, like, look at the script and say he thought it was stupid and turn it down. You know, that's that would be a lot a lot worse. So as I mentioned, John Travolta ended up playing the role of Vincent Vega in this movie. John Travolta has been in a ton of stuff, but this kind of revived his career. He was on a pretty steady downward slope when this movie came along. I mean, he had been in, you know, he was in Look Who's Talking... You know, all, all three of those movies, which are not good movies, by the way. And that was like late 80s, early 90s, I believe. 
he had been in Greece, Saturday Night Fever, Carrie, Urban Cowboy, Perfect with Jamie Lee Curtis. And he didn't, I, I mean, there weren't a lot of solid movies. You know what I mean? There were movies that were popular and they they had some notoriety in Hollywood, but they were not spectacular movies. And I mean, he ended up, after this movie, he was doing like Get Shorty, Swordfish, Face Off, different different kinds of movies. I mean, he was also in a movie called Michael, and I don't remember if that was before or after Pulp Fiction. I want to say it was after. And he played an angel, and it was like he he had like an edge to him, you know? He, he was he was not your regular run-of-the-mill angel, and it's like, oh, God, what the fuck is this? Alongside uh, John Travolta for much of this movie uh, is Samuel L. Jackson, who plays Jules Winfield, who is, I mean, as I've mentioned before on this podcast in my Unbreakable episode, you know, Samuel L. Jackson is in everything. I do find it funny... One of my friends growing up, when they would say Samuel L. Jackson's name, he would always say it, Samuel Jackson. Like, he would merge Samuel and the sound of saying L, and he would say Samuel Jackson. And that was how he always said it. I just found it hilarious, and I I would point it out to him, and he didn't recognize what he was saying was wrong or was was not right, you know? So, I mean, I won't, I won't get into everything that Samuel L. Jackson's been in. He's, he's been in a lot of great stuff. Um, he, he's, he's kind of a standby in a lot of Tarantino movies and, and all that stuff. Uma Thurman is in this movie and she is, uh, playing the role of Mia Wallace, who is the, I mean, her, claim to fame within this movie is that she's married to Marcellus Wallace, who is kind of like the head bad guy, you know, but like he's, he's not everybody's antagonist, you know, he's like John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson work for him. So he's not, you know, like he's not perceived as bad necessarily. Um, I found it funny when I looked up Uma Thurman, you know, cause I always do this. I'll look up most of the main actors of the movie just to see, Hey, what have they been in? What, do, like, what do I think of when I think of them and what do, what movies have they actually been in that IMDB claims that they are known for, right? I found it very heartbreaking that one of Uma Thurman's top known-for movies was Batman and Robin from 1997, which it it killed the franchise. I've gotten into this a little bit before. It's it's bad. I mean, it's a it's a terrible movie. She plays Poison Ivy, and she's she does this weird voice the whole time. It's just very off-putting. I don't really care for it. Um, she was also in you know. Two Tarantino movies, the Kill Bill movies, Volume 1 and 2. She was in The Avengers, and now, hold on a minute, before you think to yourself, oh man, I love the Marvel movies, what are you talking about, Brandon? This is The Avengers, 
like the TV show from, I think it was the 60s that featured Diana Rigg and somebody else and the Avengers with Uma Thurman and also alongside Ray Fiennes. It is horrible. It is, it is a really bad movie. There is a lot of cheap shit in it. They clearly didn't pay any extras to be on set. They didn't do anything. They just cut all the corners in the world and the script was horrendous. It's unfortunate that that's, that's one of the top ones that she's known for. She was also in a movie called My Super Ex-Girlfriend, which I think I saw like 15 years ago or something. And it was like, I think it was Luke Wilson that she was in that with. And my God, I mean, just another stupid one. Like, I guess it wasn't as bad as like the Avengers, but it was pretty fucking terrible. She's, I still think she's very good, though. I, I think Uma Thurman is a very talented actress. I think, you know, just unfortunately, she hasn't been in a lot of great things. So take from that what you will, you know. I mean, I, I think she's good. She's just, she's not getting, you know, a lot of a lot of attention. Uh, so this movie, and as I mentioned with Tarantino's storytelling style, it's... Like Reservoir Dogs, you know, you get this this story told and it's it's about this heist and you see the story from the perspective of each of the people that are involved in the heist or like one or two of the people at a time, you know? And so they it just, it's, it would, it, I don't know that I would say it had never been done, but it hadn't been done much before... Tarantino did it, you know, in a popular movie. And I'm sure I'll, I'm sure I'm wrong about that. But anyway, so like this movie is told out of order. There are scenes where a character dies, then you see them because it's at a different point in the timeline a few scenes later, you know, I just weird stuff like that where it's like, yeah, that's, that's kind of crazy. You know what I mean? They're, they're not, you know, I mean, it's out of order, so that's just the way it works. And um, a lot of a lot of people that were looking at this movie as you know a potential movie to produce didn't want to make it because of reasons like that. Like the story wasn't linear, so they were like, "This is stupid. Nobody's going to be able to follow this. Fuck this movie." And man, they must have been so fucking stoked with themselves after the fact. Um, so you've got. You got Vincent and Jules, you know, John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson. They're they're both hitmen for this guy, Marcellus Wallace, and they're going to pick up a MacGuffin, which is a a suitcase that has gold something or other in it. And they they go to pick it up and you know they there there's a lot of interesting stuff that happened. I mean, just the way the movie plays out, it's like I don't know. It's just so, it's so wild to think about, you know, if you, if you look back, you're like, oh yeah, okay. I remember this part. This is, this is why it's like this at another time. Okay. Anyway, so, so then you've got this guy named Butch who, um, oh my God, I completely glossed over Bruce Willis guys. The biggest name at the time for this movie and I forgot to mention him. So Bruce Willis is in this movie. By the way, he was supposed to be right after uh, Uma Thurman, but so he only worked on this film for 18 days. 
His character's name is Butch Coolidge. He is a boxer. He is supposed to throw a fight for Marcellus Wallace. Surprise, surprise, he does not throw the fight like he's supposed to. And basically, his storyline is all of the tension following that and... You know, him basically trying to skip town and get out of Dodge before Marcellus Wallace catches him. So I, I love his, he's got, you know, a very small portion of this movie, but he's he's great in it. I, I really do like it. While this is all happening, as a completely separate story, but containing a, a familiar character, you've got Vincent Vega going on a date with Mia Wallace. So John Travolta going on a date with Uma Thurman, okay? And Mia Wallace is married to Marcellus Wallace, and Marcellus Wallace has put Vincent Vega up to this. Like, he just wants him to take care of her for the night, you know? Just no touching, just, you know, you just take her out and show her a good time, and, you know, I'm going to be busy, so blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of cool stuff with that. I mean... I'll get into it in a minute, but I mean, there's there's a lot of very graphic depictions of violence and, but it's, it's funny. It's overall, I think, you know, like less than five minutes of editing out footage from this movie and it's barely even violent. It's, it's like nothing, you know, and that's what's cool about it is it's like, yeah, you know, like obviously if you cut certain scenes out of it that are violent, you nothing's going to make sense in the movie. But I'm saying, like, in in the grand scheme of things, it's not that bad. I mean, this movie, it's, it's cool. It's got, like, an interesting, I wouldn't say wholly original plot, but it, it puts a very fresh spin on the plots that it explores, you know? So it, it takes them in a different direction. Some of the, the high points of this movie are, you know, there's there's a scene that's, like, maybe five minutes long and it's got Christopher Walken in it and Christopher Walken's amazing. And he's one of those guys that at one point he was telling people that he like any movie he could take that didn't have a scheduling conflict with another movie, he would take it and just do it. And it's like, that's pretty fucking awesome. The whole scene at this place called Jackrabbit Slims, which is like an like, it's made up to look like a 50s diner, but this is in, you know, modern day 1994. So it's it's a very cool themed restaurant. And they, Vincent Vega and Mia Wallace go there. And before I go any farther, I have to mention the writing of the these scenes, just the dialogue, the way these characters interact with each other it feels so real to me. It just feels so right. It doesn't feel artificial or fabricated or anything. It feels like people are talking the way people talk, you know, and I love that. I just, that's one of my favorite parts about Tarantino. And he also can write for women. There's a scene with, with, uh, with an overdose that is, very tense and it's very serious and it's just nerve wracking and you're like, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. Is this going to fucking work? Is this going to happen? You know, I mean, it's just, it's so great. <laughs> so there's also a scene with, with Bruce Willis's character. You know, he's got this girlfriend, which I mean, I, I feel 
I feel compelled to, I'll, I'll mention her a little bit later, but he's interacting with, with this girlfriend and there's this back and forth and it is just great. It's like, it's so, it's so great. You know, there is, a, there's a little run in at a pawn shop. This, uh, Bruce Willis character, Butch is running from Marcellus Wallace and he is at this pawn shop and he basically gets trapped there and gets kind of taken hostage and it's it's fucking amazing. You know, as I mentioned, there's the scene with with Quentin Tarantino. Uh, they they it's called the Bonnie situation and they just have to figure out a way to get out of this predicament. It's a very amazing scene, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, and then there's also toward the end of the movie there is a scene set in the diner which uh, there, there are these two people that decide they're going to rob this diner and Jules Winfield and Vincent Vega are there. And so as you can imagine, this like lockdown situation with people robbing this restaurant, holding everybody up at gunpoint, whatever, you know, it's, it's all very, very interesting. I mean, overall, just the concept of the separate stories in this movie is what really sells it for me. It's like you could you could conceivably watch each separate storyline in this movie and come away from it feeling like you you've got a complete story, you know, and it's 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 very cool like that. You know, you, you've you've got a few different characters and you've got you've got a few different storylines and it's it's pretty awesome. I mean, there's a lot of cool well-shot scenes. I mean, the only thing I would say is a drawback of that is Quentin Tarantino has this fucking thing with feet, which, by the way, is... It's, like, right up there on the creepy meter. Like, to have a thing with feet is... I look at... I, I see feet, and I'm like, get get those things the fuck away from me. You don't have any business showing those things. Keep your socks on. Keep your fucking shoes on if you have to. I don't care. Just keep those feet away from me. But there's a lot of inventive cinematography. There's a lot of a lot of cool shots that we see. You know, there's um, just like tracking shots, and then there's you know scenes where you know they're driving around, and you get a cool image of what the perspective is of the conversation. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, great writing, a lot of great dialogue, a lot of exchanges in this film. You get all these scenes like, you know, you get, there's there's so many quotable lines like, you know, they talk about at the beginning of the movie, Royale with cheese, you know, that's what they call a quarter pounder in Europe because Vincent Vega at the start of this movie is coming back from a trip to Europe. And then, you know, there's the scene I was talking about with Bruce Willis where, you know, Butch and his girlfriend are talking and she keeps calling the motorcycle he, he's on a motorcycle. And he says, it's a chopper. It's a chopper, baby. It's a chopper, you know? And it, it just, it's fucking great. And then Samuel L. Jackson quotes this line, you know, he quotes this fake Bible verse, Ezekiel twenty-five seventeen. It's this big, long thing, but it's like something to the effect of like, the path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the tyrannies of the selfish and the, the iniquities of evil men or something like, I mean, it's just, it sounds a little bit like a Bible, like a Bible verse, but it also sounds like a Bible verse somebody would make up to make sound like a Bible verse. 
the, the other thing, I mean, the soundtrack, I can't sell it short. It brings these these scenes to life. They're, they're awesome. I love them. Uh, all around, I would say the performances in this movie, nobody does anything but A-plus work. I mean, it is all five stars across the board. It's it's fucking great. And I, and as I said, it all feels very real with the interactions and things like that. The, the only the only criticisms I have of the movie would be like, I, I don't... So Bruce Willis, Butch, has this girlfriend. She's got like an accent. And I don't know what it is about her, but she... She has this, like, childlike vibe about her. It's like she's a little kid talking to him. The looks on her face are like that of a little kid, and I just, I don't like her. I really don't care for her. She doesn't do a bad job acting. I just don't care for her her character at all. I, I don't like her very much. And the other criticism I have of this movie is that it is cooler than I ever hope to be. And I'm going to drop that word cool as much as I can when talking about movies today. You know, obviously, you know, this movie got a lot of praise when it came out. It was nominated for Best Picture and Best Director, but it lost on both counts to Forrest Gump, unfortunately. And it also came out the same day as The Shawshank Redemption, and, you know, neither of these movies I don't think were as big of a success at the time that they came out, as they ended up being on a cult status level. But, you know, they're still very good. It, this is technically an indie film, and I I have trouble with the way they get there, because basically it was like, it was made independently, and then Miramax, who had been bought by Disney, bought the rights to it and distributed it. And so, unlike a normal indie movie, which I think gradually gets distributed at more and more theaters over time. This movie, you know, Pulp Fiction released to like 1,100 theaters, which is unheard of for an indie movie, like a true indie movie. But they still bill it as the first indie quote-unquote movie to be to be able to gross over $100 million. So that's... That's pretty pretty spectacular. Apparently, Uma Thurman initially turned this role down. She was actually convinced to come back to it by Quentin Tarantino, who called her on the phone and read the script to her and convinced her that it was worth doing, which is, I mean, that's pretty cool. And another interesting little tidbit, fuck is said 265 times in this film. You know, it... Maybe I say fuck too much, but it doesn't seem like they say fuck that much. Maybe they just blend it in too good. I don't know. Runtime, 154 minutes. Budget, about $8.5 million. Uh, worldwide gross to date is $213.9 million. Uh, the IMDb rating is 8.9 out of 10, and it's actually a top 10 all-time movie on IMDb ratings. The number one movie on that ratings list is The Shawshank Redemption, and I think second is maybe The Godfather, and third is The Dark Knight, so 
Pulp Fiction's in good company on that list. Rotten Tomato critic score, 92%. Rotten Tomato audience score, 96%. And my own personal rating is, of course, 5 out of 5 stars. Um, It's beautiful for its, you know, all of its strengths and all of its weaknesses wrapped into one is what makes it such a great movie. Okay, so I'm not going to waste any time getting into our next movie, which is X-Men from 2000. Um, This was, I mean, honestly, obviously, you know, comic book movies had been made before this movie. Um, You know, we had the Superman movies of the 70s and 80s, and then we had uh, the Batman movies of the 80s and 90s. And, you know, we had Blade and, you know, lower budget ones that were here and there. You know, like, I think there's a Captain America movie and a Flash movie. And they were, like, made for TV level. And they were all solid. But this movie broke the mold. Like, this was the movie that is responsible for boosting the popularity of comic book movies and... Uh, increase the popularity level enough to get studios to sign on to try and make their own successful comic book movie. And so this movie was released on July 14th, 2000. It was directed by Brian Singer, who is a solid director. I mean, he doesn't have as many credits as I expected him to have. He made The Usual Suspects, which if you can get past the fact that Kevin Spacey is a big piece of shit, you know, I mean, it's a good movie, uh, he made Superman Returns, which most people aren't big fans of, but I actually kind of enjoyed it okay, it was just a little overlong, and, you know, a little too heavy on the, the referencing the, the Christopher Reeve movies, uh, he also made, uh, Brian Singer made X2, the sequel to this movie, And he made X-Men Days of Future Past, which is a solid graphic novel, by the way. Uh, He also made the uh, Freddie Mercury biopic Bohemian Rhapsody. And that was pretty good. I mean, Rami Malek did an amazing job in that movie. So, I mean, I don't know how much to... I don't know how much I have Bryan Singer to thank for that. But, you know, whatever. Uh, he, He made the movie Valkyrie with Tom Cruise and Bill Nye, and I just, I don't know if I can bring myself to watch that Tom Cruise movie, but, and I've never heard anybody talk about that movie, like, it was something, like, hot shit, you know, so I'm kind of on the, on the fence about it. It's, you know, obviously X-Men, based on comic books, Stan Lee, Jack Kirby primarily, um, say what you will about Stan Lee, he had a vision, he he saw the potential in these characters, and things like that. The guy who did the score for this movie, the composer, was named Michael Kamen, and I hadn't really ever heard of him, and I was very curious to see what else he had done, and I always look into this, you know, it's kind of like a, give me, you know, give it your best shot, you know, if, you, if you've got some movies worth talking about, I'll mention you on my podcast, but if not, you know, because everybody wants that, uh, that, Brandon at random bump, you know what I mean? Everybody wants to get that exposure. They got, you know, tens of people listening to their name, you know? He did a movie called, this is not a good leg to start off on, but 
he did a movie, and it was one of his early, early movies called Shanghai Surprise, which was a movie that starred Madonna, already, already not looking good, and Sean Penn. And my God, was it dumb. It was a fucking terrible movie. They covered it on the podcast, How Did This Get Made? It was fucking stupid. Anyway, we'll move on to the, the better ones that he did. So he did the Lethal Weapon movies, all four of them. A lot of the Die Hard movies, but unfortunately he passed away in 2003. So he hasn't done the more recent Die Hard movies. He did Roadhouse and Robin Hood Prince of Thieves with Kevin Costner. And then he did uh, The Last Boy Scout, Mr. Holland's Opus, which I will no doubt do an episode on. That movie is fucking phenomenal. I love it. It makes me cry. Oh, God, it's so good. He did The Iron Giant, which is, oh, man. I mean, it's a very, that's a very acclaimed movie. I can't even say that it's underrated. It's it's a highly acclaimed movie. And then he did Frequency, which is, I would say, an underrated movie. It's not as good as I remembered it being when I first saw it. But, like, when I revisited it, I didn't regret it. It was, it was still a good movie. It's got Jim Caviezel and uh, Dennis Quaid in it. It's a good movie. Hugh Jackman is... The main guy in this X-Men movie, okay? He plays Wolverine slash Logan. You know, Logan is his, uh, I, I don't know, his real name? I don't I don't know how that works. Anyway, I always, I always like to list a few movies with the, the lead actor, you know. Uh, he, he was in Swordfish right after this movie and Kate and Leopold right after this movie, which Kate and Leopold is fucking terrible. Don't do it. Uh, he was in The Prestige, which is... One of my favorite movies of all time. And so he uh, was also in Van Helsing, which is trash. He was in Les Mis, where he sings, and I don't know. I haven't seen the movie, so I can't speak to whether or not it's any good. Uh, He was in Prisoners with Jake Gyllenhaal. And I have to say, I liked that movie, and I need to go back and see it again. Because it was a solid film. Um, one movie of his I need to see is The Greatest Showman. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll mention... So, Patrick Stewart is in this movie. He is uh, playing Professor Charles Xavier. There's only a few movies of his that I know. He was in a bunch of Star Trek movies as uh, Captain Jean-Luc Picard. And he, you know, he was also on a TV show, I think. I'm pretty sure. I don't. I haven't seen any of those movies at all. Sorry, guys. He was in a movie called... Life Force that they actually also covered on How Did This Get Made. And it was um, a Canon Pictures or Canon Films movie, you know. And which is, by the way, translation, if I ever say something is a Canon Films movie, that means it's reprehensibly terrible. But anyway, I, I watched this because, you know, they covered it on How Did This Get Made and it's called Life Force. And I didn't know at all what it was about. It's about these people that go into space and they find these like humanoid look like they look like people and they're, you know, in deep sleep or whatever. And they bring them back to Earth, right? And one of the ones, I, I can't remember the full story, so don't hold me to it. But so basically the, the woman that they bring back, you know, she's in in deep sleep like, fully naked, right? 
you know, ends it ends up being that like she's hostile and she ends up walking around for like half of the fucking movie completely naked. And she is her name's Matilda May. And she is I'm not exaggerating when I say this, one of the most attractive people I've ever seen. And I looked at her IMDB today when I was trying to figure out what the name of this movie was. And she still looks phenomenal. Like, she is almost 60, I think. And it's like, holy shit, man. That's fucking great. Good on you. Way to be. You know, Patrick Stewart was also in, you know, he played played the same part. He was in uh, the other X-Men movies along with, like, Logan, which he plays, you know, it, it's like a, a Wolverine movie, but but he's in it. And, you know, Ian McKellen is in this movie. He plays Magneto. He's the bad guy, you know. And uh, I only really know him from The Lord of the Rings. And the only thing I really need to see is, you know, these 85-hour cuts of The Lord of the Rings that everybody swears that I need to watch. And I just, I can't get there. Because it's like, my God, if your story is that, like, I'd rather, I would rather just read the books. And I'm I'm probably not going to read the books anytime soon. But it's like, if your if your movie has to be like six hours to be to really grasp the full story, then it it's not a good idea. So Famke Janssen, I think I'm pronouncing her name correctly, but I'm not positive. It's F A M K E J A N S S E N, but I think it's it's Famke Janssen because she's like Eastern European or something. Um, I know her from the movie Goldeneye, and she was also the mom in the Taken movies. I don't remember, I don't know if I saw the third Taken movie. I think I saw the second Taken movie. And then also in this movie, not to be forgotten, James Marsden, Halle Berry. You know, James Marsden plays Cyclops or Scott, and then Halle Berry plays Storm, and Anna Paquin plays Rogue, and... Yeah, I mean, the cast is fucking solid in this movie. I'm I'm fucking very happy with who they picked for each of these roles, honestly. So, I mean, the very basic plot synopsis is basically mutants are coming to the light as existing, you know? Many are opposed to them for, you know, just their, their overall differences. They just look at them like they're freaks or whatever. Uh, there's, there are a lot, I mean, you can, there's a lot of allegory here. You know, there are a lot of parallels with like the civil rights movement and the, the gay rights movement. And, uh, you know, it, it really speaks to a lot of those social issues, um, which, which makes it even cooler. Like, honestly, just the way the writers of the comic books did this and like made them, you know, made them like the poster child for, accepting people for being different, you know, but as comic book superheroes, you know, it's fucking great. I love it. Magneto, who is Ian McKellen, uh, wants to turn everyone into mutants since they're, uh, you know, everybody's being such dicks to people for being mutants, you know. His old friend Charles Xavier, who, you know, is the head of the X-Men and, you know, has like a, uh, has a school for gifted youngsters where he, it's basically like he's recruiting all these mutants to, you know, help them wrangle their powers and stuff. Uh, Charles wants, he opposes 
you know, he's an old friend of, of Magneto's, but he, you know, he opposes Magneto's uh, thought process and like what, what he's planning to do. He really just wants the mutants to live in harmony with the humans and just be regular people. But, you know, Magneto wants them, he wants to turn everybody into mutants. He wants everybody to become mutants because they're being such assholes. And it's kind of hard to be wholly opposed to Magneto, but what can you do? So loner, the loners uh, of the group are Logan and Rogue. They kind of cross paths with each other and they they just kind of, you know, happen are happened upon by I mean I don't know if they're they're being followed anyway but it's like they they end up with with the X-Men you know and they're they end up helping out and uh and Logan has this big thing for Jean Grey who is Famke Janssen's character and she she's with Scott or Cyclops if if you will and uh yeah she just doesn't want anything to do with Logan, pretty much. So, I mean, the, the basic premise is, you know, Magneto wants to turn everybody into mutants and the X-Men want to stop him. So that's that's the plot for you. You know, some of the some of the better parts of this movie are, uh, like, Hugh Jackman's uh, casting in this movie. Fucking amazing. He was, like, generally pretty well unknown before this movie. And then they cast him. And I'll talk about some of the other people they tried to cast beforehand. The tone of the movie, they did a great job finding a, a good balance between comic book and real life, you know? They didn't they didn't make it as cartoonish as it could have been, and that could have been disastrous. I love Logan and Scott's back and forth. Like, just the very few moments that you get of that is so great. It's, it's just, I love it. I would say... You know, it just, it didn't feel like just another comic book movie. Like I said, it, they translated it really well and they made it work. I mean, the, the actors in this movie, they took it seriously. They weren't all winking at the camera and shit. I mean, that could have been bad. Brian Singer did an amazing job on this film, you know, and, and they, he was the reason, you know, they ended up wanting him back, you know, after multiple movies because it was like, he, he knew how to do it. You know, he, he knew what he was working with. The only, the only thing I would say is like, looking back on it, you know, I didn't think this at the time. I thought it was a really good, solid, well-rounded movie. But now, based on the standards of today's superhero movies, it seems like this, this is a very short, simplistic story that doesn't really have a lot of depth, you know? And that's too bad. Like, it's just unfortunate. They didn't really know how far superhero movies would go, you know? Uh, the the CGI, basically because everything was in such a time crunch at the end and they hadn't really done much to make sure they got good visual effects, they, uh, you know, the, you could just see where it was lacking, where, you know, they, they went to do these, these effects and CGI and, and they just, they look super dated. Like, good good movies from this era can make it look good without, you know, like, without making it obvious that they're using CGI, you know what I mean? I'd say that the female characters might be a little bit underwritten. I don't feel like Jean Grey or Rogue really have too much to say, but I can't really remember. I've I've read a lot of the comic books, but I can't remember if that's true of the comic books. 
the funny thing is to me is, okay, they, they left out, because I remember I was watching, like a couple years ago, I was re-watching the X-Men animated series from the 90s, and that was a really good animated series. I, I definitely suggest checking it out. It's on Disney+. Plus. And there are two characters in that, and they're not featured in this movie at all. And one is Jubilee, who basically has the power of fireworks, which is ridiculous. And then Gambit, who they recently, you know, within the last like 10 years, they've talked about making a Gambit movie. And they were originally going to have like Channing Tatum or something. And I mean, some of the people I talked to about that were like, I don't know if you could pull off the accent and blah, 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 because he's like a, he's got like a New Orleans French type accent, you know? So it's just kind of meh. But I just, I find it funny that like, they clearly just like, Jubilee was like a huge character in the show and they just completely cut her out of this entire story and it's just fucking great. Um, The movie, just a few factoids for you. The movie has been in development or had been in development, I should say, since the late, mid to late 80s and... There were some very early iterations of the film where Bob Hoskins, who is the guy from Who Framed Roger Rabbit and Super Mario Brothers, that he was supposed to play Wolverine and Angela Bassett, which is a name I'd not heard in a long, long time, was supposed to play Storm. No, not clear on what the the plot was going to be, I mean, like, I, I can't really dive into it. There's a lot to talk about with the evolution of this plot. So Russell Crowe turned down this role and, you know, the, the role of Wolverine in the late 90s. He just didn't want to do it. And I mean, he could have been cool in it. You know, I think he's, I don't think he would have been as good as Hugh Jackman at all, but I think he would have, he would have been solid. He would have been all right. Michael Jackson campaigned for the role of Professor X, but was never seriously considered. Shocker. But that reminded me when I read that of what Michael Jackson had done in the past. He wanted to play, you know, at around the same time, he was dying to play Spider-Man in a Spider-Man movie. This was ahead of the Tobey Maguire movies and all that stuff. He was actually expressing interest in buying Marvel outright in 1996 to make it happen when Marvel was close to bankruptcy, which is why there's so many issues with ownership of rights and all that stuff for all these comics is because Marvel was like rationing off, you know, like rights to certain characters and certain groups of characters and stuff. And and all I can think is just like, wow, what would... Would we have even gotten more Marvel movies? Would we have even seen anything else if Michael Jackson would have taken over and done what he wanted to do? We would have potentially never gotten the MCU. We would have never gotten all these X-Men movies, all the Spider-Man movies, all that shit. I mean, just wow. Jim Caviezel was considered for the role of Cyclops, but backed out because of uh, conflicts with the movie Frequency, actually. And uh, Rachel Lee Cook was considered for the role of Rogue. It's not clear if she turned it down or if they just went in another direction. Ian McKellen said, you know, it was said that he responded a lot to the the gay allegory of the film. And it's, I'm 
quite positive he is gay, so that would be helpful in reasoning. I don't know if I know him and Patrick Stewart are like besties, but I don't I can't remember if Patrick Stewart is actually gay or if he's just friends with Ian McKellen. Or are they, you know, are they like dating? I don't fucking know. I I mean I'm all for be be gay to the max. You know, I I have gay family members, I have all you know gay friends. I do what you want to, I just was curious. I'm not I'm not judging. Allegedly, director Brian Singer was like on drugs during this movie, and there were rumors that he was like uh, giving small roles to minors in exchange for sex and stuff, which kind of bummed me out because I knew Brett Brett Ratner was uh, like he's the guy that did X Men Three, and. I mean, I knew he was a piece of shit, but I didn't know. I thought Brian Singer was like a decent guy, but I guess, I mean, maybe he's not. So I took this quote from Wikipedia, and this is about the, the CGI, and I just, I found it fascinating, because it's just, you know, it's it's interesting to listen to them talk about stuff like this, especially at the time. Like, you know it has to take way less time, but anyway. Digital Domain's technical director, Sean C. Cunningham, and lead compositor, Klaus Henke, morphed Bruce Davison into a liquid figure for Kelly's mutation scene. Cunningham said, There were many digital layers, water without refraction, water with murkiness, skin with and without highlights, skin with goo in it. When rendered together, it took 39 hours Per frame. Do you realize how many frames? Like, if just this podcast were being recorded on video, do you realize how how many hours that is with as many frames as that would be? Like, holy shit. And this is like a very brief scene. You know, there's the senator that they, you know, try and turn into a mutant and blah, blah, blah. And it, it only lasts like a little while, you know. There were obviously a lot more X-Men movies after this one, and there were some. There were a handful of Wolverine solo movies, and um, they're all varying in quality. I mean, there are ones that are good, there are ones that are bad, for sure. Uh, this movie has a runtime of 104 minutes, a budget of $75 million. Uh, worldwide gross to date of $296.3 million. Got an IMDb rating of 7.3 out of 10. Rotten Tomato Critics Score of 82%. Rotten Tomato Audience Score of 83%. And my own personal rating of this movie is 4.5 out of 5 stars for the reasons I've given. Just the overall, you know, like a lot of it, a lot of the movie itself just feels dated. You know, that's, it's unfortunate. And I, if this were 2001, I would tell you it was 5 out of 5 for sure, but Unfortunately, I, I can't look at it through that lens. So, okay, everyone. Well, that was Pulp Fiction and X-Men. And I really enjoyed talking about them. I had a really uh, a really fun time. Um, you know, as always, you know, send me ideas for movies you want me to do. I might do them. I might not. I mean, it's tough to say. All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I appreciate it. Have a good day.
Brandon at Random Reviews is performed, written, directed, produced, and edited by Brandon Griffiths. Theme music is performed by Augusto Diniz from Fiverr. 